So, hello and welcome. My name's Steve Nabell, and today I'm speaking with Kingsley Dennis on his book, Sacred Revival. Now, Kingsley is a PhD, as a sociologist, researcher and writer, author of a number of books, including Dawn of the Akashic Age, written in 2013 with Irvin Laszlo. His latest book, Sacred Revival, is a thought-provoking examination of social, cultural and personal development that's part of a new unfolding era in our history. And it has a central message around um, where we're heading as a planet. And it uh, predicts that there will be a healing of life on the planet with a greater drive towards cosmic consciousness. And for this to happen we have to really collectively connect with the transcendent so hi Kingsley hello Steve welcome so um, I know we chatted a little bit before this podcast about you, you you're in idyllic Spain agricultural Spain writing in this kind of idyllic space with a lot of space around you could you just say something about how you got there and where you are sure I mean I actually live in Andalusia and uh, it is a rural setting and I uh, came here several years ago in fact um, the first book I was working on when I was still at university, which got published after the car, where I was looking and researching about peak oil and the situation with sustainability and, and um, our urban issues, etc. And when I was working on that, I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, I would love to get um, a bit away from the dense urban environments and uh, you know, hopefully get a, a plot of land and I could uh, grow my vegetables and it was in the back of my mind, and of course, I didn't realize it was going to materialize uh, so directly. But when I left university and went on a sabbatical to write a book, I came to Andalusia, and um, the energy here, the, the light is very, very kind of uh, energizing. And I found it a very, um, I say, just a very welcome and a suitable place. So the short, you know, the, the short version of the long story is that I ended up staying here and, and getting a piece piece of land and living off the water means with the water well, and uh, growing my vegetables and writing. And so it's the, it is the, the kind of ideal perfect situation for a writer. But at the same time, I'm very close to all the, the towns of Jerez and Sevilla, so I can get around quite quickly. So, um, yeah, it's it's being profitable that I can keep on writing here, Steve. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, I guess that the, the book is kind of looking at the whole, it covers a lot of t topics, but if we look at the history of the planet, in a way, we've kind of switched away from an exploration of interior worlds. Uh, you know, even religion is kind of falling away with this materialism, consumerism, and really that the focus of the planet seems to be the external world. We've explored every corner of the planet, but at a cost to ourselves. Yes, I, I think it's not a surprise that most of us know and we feel it deep inside that there's something intrinsically wrong with the direction the world's taken. And it's true that we've, we've entered a very, or we had to pass through a very much materialistic, um, rational, scientific phase, which was really coming off the end of the Enlightenment until now. So I think for several centuries we had this material phase, which, to be fair, it, it got it to the point of development where we are, but it, it's, for a long time, it's been detrimental. We should have changed our path by now. Yeah. So, I, you know, at the beginning of the book, I did do the whole sweep talking about this disenchantment. We've kind of lost the connection with the sacred gods. And we're living in a, or we're giving us ourselves the framework of living in a disenchanted, dead cosmic universe. Yeah. And uh, we had to come full circle, I think, to get back to the archaic mode, the sense of uh, we're living in a, we are in a living, a conscious, vibrant, dynamic uh, cosmic environment. So it is a kind of full circle we've had to go. Yeah. 
And a lot of the kind of, uh, a lot of religious texts that talk about us passing through a very dark age of spiritual ignorance, you know, from the Christian uh, revelations to, um, uh, you know, Indian texts. So do you think it's kind of part of some kind of cosmic plan where we're collectively going into a dark, you know, let's forget about spirituality, forget about our inner light, forget about our inner world, and then eventually at some point we, we go as far as we can with that and we have to kind of switch, come back? Um, well, if you look at it, yes, uh, there are many indications in, in a lot of wisdom traditions and spiritual religious traditions that we go through these cycles, these patterns, and um, I, I do feel that, I mean, you know, the, the major one, like the, the Hindu uh, yoga cycles, also indicate that, and we have to go through this darkness or this, um, this disconnection or loss, loss of the sacred connection, in, you know, and again, we could say it's part of the fall, um, there's all these metaphors that talk about that. So in order, we have to go through the darkness in order to come back and, and uh, as T.S. Eliot said, and you know, know the place again for the first time. So, um, and I think you know, even if you look astronomically, they say that we're going through this spiral. It's not a kind of circle; it's a spiral, and we go as we move. We go. We also move in a in a in a in a directional way, and we go through dense, darker parts of of the cosmos. And and so, there's many indications that we go. We are moving through patterns and cycles of of uh, evolution, and therefore part of our history. And I think. That has a lot of validity because all the, otherwise we wouldn't have seen those patterns in, in a lot of Western traditions. And so I think that we are now coming through that or have been coming through it, but it takes time to, to manifest. So I think we've been leaving the dark period for quite a, quite a while. Yeah. Um, but I say that, you know, it takes time for, for that road to, to materialize and manifest it. Yeah, because there have been a number of spiritual teachers that come on the planet, you know, Christ and Buddha, and all kinds of religions have formed up around these spiritual teachers, whereas those teachers seem to be saying, look within, connect with the light within, or the God within, and yet all the religions that formed have kind of been more focused on power and money and property and territory. Uh, Do you think it's some kind of failed experiment? I think it's a a symptom of the dense material reality that we're actually in. Because if if you look at most religions and and most wisdom traditions and paths, um, they were founded after the death of their namesake founder. Yeah. And what happens, what what happens, well, what what I've noticed that tends to happen is that when anything that spends a certain time within our dense reality becomes crystallized and tends to become static. So you have a living body of knowledge which is passed on by a living teacher and then after they die it, comes, it, it often gets formed into a, a channel or a school or, or you know, a structured teaching. And after time, that teaching becomes more crystallized. It becomes a part of the uh, human structures of orthodoxy or institutionalized. And then it starts to then enter a framework of power and you know, uh, these social systems. And so I think it's just, it's just the, the very natural environment of being in a dense 3D material reality whereby anything living in kinetic eventually starts to slow down and gets crystallized. Even. I think that's a pattern. So we have to always look at the essence and the, the origin rather than looking at the secondary factors because the secondary factors are, are a consequence of our reality rather than the source, which often the source comes from outside of our reality. 
Yeah, I get that, yeah. Now, within this great movement away from the sacred and this kind of the disenchantment of the world, there was a turning away from the feminine, you write in your book, a repression, the burning of the witches, power became formed in all kinds of structures, mostly masculine type of structures, uh, with men at the top, a shift from a lunar to a solar consciousness. Can you comment on that? Sure, and I, I, I feel that it's very, very important that we are moving towards, um, let's say, a more feminizing of culture. But I want to be very specific. When I talk about feminine and masculine, I'm not talking about gender. Yeah. I'm talking about a certain form of, of energy that has certain aspects. And I think the feminine energy has an aspect of, um, it, it's not uh, control-orientated, it's more collaboration-orientated, it's more participation, it's more nurturance. And um, so, you know, to give the example, I think the masculine energy is very hierarchical. It's very top-down. And you see that in a lot of the ecclesiastical orthodox uh, structures. Interestingly, you know, when they were burning the witches, one of the, one of the ac- accusations against them was that witches would meet in witches' circles. And you have this idea of a feminine circle, which is very contrary to that, you know, vertical kind of hierarchy of, of the masculine energy. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think now that... As we come around this pattern that we see now, and again, I've talked about this in, before, and I think in a previous conversation with you about the Phoenix Generation, yeah. we're moving into a, an age where we're seeing a kind of decentralized patterns coming across with the way we communicate through networks, the way we're um, collaborating across the world, which is, and I think that is an indication of this femininity. It's about collaboration, consciousness, compassion, communication, and participation. And I think the internet is also a part of that. I feel the internet's a very kind of feminine um, energy that is bringing us together to, to, you know, to communicate rather than being isolated and controlled. It's a masculine energy. So I feel that's a very, very important end of the sacred is what this feminine energy, which incorporates male and females, incorporates all of us. It's the way we behave and articulate and the way we communicate and connect. It's not anything about gender. Yeah. It seems to me that the old... I totally agree with you on this one. I feel that the, the feminine is rising. It's part of the whole spiritual movement rising, and which is a wonderful thing. And I do see the, the old masculine structures kind of reacting against that. You know, we have, uh, for example, the NSA, GCHQ spying on, on all the Western population. And if you've got nothing to hide, you don't have to worry about it, that kind of thing. And all kinds of control structures, you know, Trump talking about... Um, controlling the internet and it's fake news and do you think the kind of masculine structures are trying to kind of preserve and kick back a bit but even if they are doing that it's inevitable that they will have to shift oh without a doubt um you know this is i think this is the stage we're in and it's it's an indication of the bigger picture and the bigger picture for me is that we are trans we are moving uh, transitioning between two epochs the epoch which is we talked about this disenchantment material one in, into a, a, a new epoch, um, an epoch which is more suitable for the, the future ahead, which is this uh, collaborating and, and feminine energy and um, you know, the world coming, coming more together, planetary civilization. And so these two epochs are clashing. So, you know, imagine, imagine you, throw, you, know, you throw a rock in a, in a pond and you get these ripples uh, you know, going out. Throw two rocks close together and you get those two ripples. When they hit, you get the interference ripples. Yeah. And I think that's where we're in. The playing field now globally is this interference part. And the old structures, what I also call the old mind, you know, the status quo, wants to retain its hold. And the reason we're seeing so much um, you know, fragmentation and so much um, 
disruption going on in the world is because they know that the old values and the old ways are you know, on the way out, and so they're making more noise. They're trying, they're trying to hold on to their power, and that's what we're seeing manifesting coming out. It's when it's when things are stable and you don't see much happening is that that's when things are, are you know in place because we're we're actually I think starting to. Um, wash our dirty clothes in public and we see these two epochs clash so we're going to see more of this fake news more of this um uh, power male harassment being being laid out and i think you know especially 2018 we're going to see more of that being on the news we are actually um in this period of where we have this interference of the epochs and that's when the disruption is coming out it's very transparent yeah and um, for me, I, I've often thought that the old structures really seem to focus around things like the money system, for example, the control mm-hmm. of money and energy, oil, <clears throat> for example. Of course, there are other control structures, and those structures are really wobbling badly, aren't they? And all kinds of wars are being fought at the moment because of these structures. Do you see that as an, a, an inevitable outcome and that will pass? You know, it's almost like for peace to happen, it's almost like we've got to kind of see the worst effects of war before we can go, that's it. We don't want to do that anymore. Do you think that's possibly true? I do, and I, you know, ultimately, I'm very positive about the future, and I do feel that where we're going will be, um, you know, where we need to be. Um, the question is how worth for how, you know, or how smooth will that tr- this transition be? But it has to be. It almost has to be a kind of cathartic uh, process. And I think in order to for us to be able to move to where we need to be, we have to almost. Um, let's say, um, work through our traumas. You know, as, as, as Jung, uh, you know, correctly identified in his depth psychology, we have this collective unconscious. And I feel now that we are manifesting more uh, our collective unconscious on the global stage. Yeah. And, you know, we are showing our traumas and we are showing our shadow, projecting our shadow. But this is necessary because we need to cleanse ourselves um, we need to get rid of all the things which have been corrupting us internally as, as well as externally before we, we are more prepared to, to bring in a world which has different values. And so I think you know, we are going through an external reorganization as well as an internal rearrangement. And so we're seeing a lot of you know, bad aspects of human nature coming out. But these, are, of course, are, are really um, peripheral in terms of the, the kind of... Uh, the integral human nature but they need to be need to be cleansed yeah well with this clashing of the epochs that you mentioned this kind of uh, the masculine the feminine structures um there's other ones as well kind of clashing it seems to me that with the clashing there's also emerging so that um for example science and spirituality often at odds with one another but scientists are now sounding more like mystics the quantum scientists sounding more like mystics and in another field the the spirituality and materialism always very separate but more and more people are realizing well actually spiritual people are I'm, I'm seeing it all the time around me. I say, well, there aren't enough caves and mountains for us to go to. Without, we can't kind of get rid of money. We have to embrace it as part of our spiritual path. Do you think that part of this kind of clash is also involving a merging, a connecting of these very opposite forces? Oh, yes. I mean, we're seeing, obviously, you know, the, as we always know, the, the, the people who shout the loudest get seen first. So there's, we often see the negative clash first because that's what the mainstream media wants to promote and that's what it's showing. But um, at the same time, we, there is a great uh, pockets of emergence coming through of the new values, which we're seeing um, you know, in all different ways, as you mentioned, science, spirituality. I think we're going to see a lot of these old dualisms um, being unified because 
you know, the, the new values have a, a diversity in unification. And I and um, so science spirituality is, is one of them and there's many other dualisms which I think are going to um, start to to dissolve their, their hard boundaries. And all across the world there's pockets of so much um, inventive, creative, positive happiness going on. There although we hear about clashes in the Middle East, for example, there are you know a lot of people working to to bring themselves together, to show unity. But this just isn't shown so much on the mainstream media. Um, so, you know, as, as, as we see in this clash, there's also a lot of indication of this new world or this new epoch coming through. And so we have to be balanced. We have to make sure that we're not just, um, you know, absorbing the negative news, but we are very much aware of uh, a lot of, you know, positive signs coming in. So, and in the moment, I think we're going to gradually... And this is how, you know, Thomas Kuhn talked about the, you know, the scientific new paradigms. You have to get enough anomalies coming in which actually shifts the system. So there's anomalies now, which I think uh, we shouldn't really call them anomalies, that they, they are the new emergencies. And as they start to grow, they're, st- they're going to eventually take over the old ways and uh, they're going to become the norm eventually. So they're coming in as, you know, wave after wave. Yeah. For many years I worked in Alternatives, um, which is a a kind of spiritual organization in London, where I witnessed lots of talks from all kinds of spiritual teachers. It did seem to me that we're in an explosion of spirituality, lots of different options, paths, whereas... You know, my parents' day, there wasn't really any option. You, ha- you were either Church of England or Catholic or that, that was it, or nothing, you know, a materialist. But now there's all this explosion of paths. Now, I remember also at Alternatives hearing scientists coming, and I remember one in particular talking about free energy uh, devices and talking about how this would liberate us from our addiction to oil and how it's being suppressed by various forces in the world. Do you see, I mean, this for me felt very hopeful that there was this explosion on the one hand of a desire to explore the interior world and on the other a kind of more liberated consciousness around technology. And I know you talk about that in your book around this kind of technology also being a, a possible liberation for humanity. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, um, you know, if, we, if we look back, as you say, to our, let's say, our parents or even our grandparents, you know, they were not having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to realise that it takes, you know, it, does take time for things to manifest, but on the larger scale, on the evolutionary scale, things have been happening at a rapid pace of change. Um, you know, people say like after the 60s, there was a great euphoria of change and, and, the, and of liberation, and then it, nothing happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, well, I disagree, a lot happened because you need these, these sparks to come up, but we're seeing the consequence of that now. What they mean to say is that nothing happened overnight. You know, the 60s didn't change anything, but yes, it did because we are seeing the consequences decades later. So I think we need to see change in terms of decades, but on on an evolutionary scale, this is still extremely, you know, extremely rapid. We didn't have any of these, even 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, Steve, we were not having these conversations about, you know, the real world and, and, you know, know, consciousness and and, uh, the quantum field. And now more and more people are aware of the quantum field and and the power of technologies. And, for example, um, even take technology like artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence was talked about in, I think, in 56, they had the Dartmoor conference where people like Marvin Minsky actually coined the term AI. And there was a huge reform in the 60s, and then nothing happened. And everyone said, AI is a dream. Yeah. And then, look, 2017, AI was the topic of talk. And then you had DeepMind from Google. So it takes time for, for an idea or an, uh, a concept to manifest truly in the material world. Um, 
And the idea of technology is, a, I think, is a very, very important topic because, as you say, if the old mind gets hold of it, and this is what we're seeing now, they're going to use it for control, surveillance, and, and databasing, and maybe even microchipping. But technology also has... It's, it's a great liberating tool if it's used in the right way. It can be used in connecting like we are now through the internet and, and our communications. It can be used to liberate people, give people new hope and, and opportunity in the world. So, you know, technology is a manifestation of uh, great potential, but it has to it has to align with a certain consciousness. It has to align with the, you know, the correct consciousness, not the old mind. Yeah. And uh, you know, so I, I see these rapid these rapid changes going to really um, come out in the next few years. Wonderful. Now, in the book, I lo- there's one sentence I loved, and you said something like, "A heretic of the conscious mind is not a bad heretic to be. Evolution depends on heretics." Now, I love heretics, and this is why I love having conversations. And I think you're probably a, a great heretic yourself. What, what would you say about that? Well, the world does need heretics, um, but yeah, you say the right heretics. Uh, heretics used to be burned. You know, all the people that burned in the past for for saying things. Which, uh, but in fact, those utterances or those inventions or those concepts brought the world forward. So, really, um, great change often happens on the periphery because the center is where the power structures take hold, and the, the, the let's say the anomalies or the new ideas have to come from the periphery. And these peripheries are often seen as being heretics because they're against the central consensus. Like yeah. it's a central power system, so they're often seen as heretics. But heretics have always been inventors, you know, the Teslas, the uh, the Giordano Brunos of the world, the people who, you know, always been the creative uh, thinkers. You can you can be a scientist, you can be a shaman, you can be a mystic, you can be just uh, a normal person who has these ideas which are revolutionary. So. Um, Yes, you know, we need to be heretics to break down the central control systems. We're coming from the periphery, and the periphery is where this great change will come. And so the world is full of, in all countries, there's people working on new ideas and working on, you know, uh, trying things to bring in a new model, a new system. And so the world has great heretics all over the place. Wonderful. Now... One of the, I'm a bit of a film buff. Uh, I know in your book you mentioned a few films that point to the future. And I've often thought that Hollywood and films in general kind of reflect where the collective consciousness is going. And I remember growing up with the kind of Terminator films with the kind of nuclear, you know, the world's going to blow itself up type of thing. And a lot of those Armageddon films seem to have dropped away. We still have more maybe dystopian ones with Blade Runner. But there are these hopeful ones, aren't there? There's the Back to the Future, the Interstellar, the Arrival, and the, even some of the Harry Potter films talk about this looping of time where the future is beginning to inform us in the past. Can you comment mm-hmm. on that? Sure. And in fact, another name to bring in there, of course, is the, one of the great heretics of science fiction is uh, Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was often, well, he wasn't that famous in his day. You know, he was known as a, a pulp writer. And now he's, he's, his ideas and concepts have become some of the, the best-selling well-known films. And he talks about a lot about this, this reality we're in is not is kind of a, not the real thing. It's almost a simulation. We're in a wrong reality, and we have to we have to get to the right perception, the right consciousness, and we, and um, and so I think you know yeah he's he's part of that. And you're right. A lot of artists, a lot of let's say cultural memes uh, in in art and films and literature are able to pick into this this collective consciousness. And so you're seeing two sides of it as well. You're seeing this dystopian uh, side, which is also part of this let's say, this traumatic mind being played out. But on the other side, you're seeing 
uh, like you say, these great these science fiction films about time looping or about um, looking ahead. And also, which I pick up in the book, I think is interesting, is we've had this huge wave of, of um, what I call the kind of um, superhero meme, you know, the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe. Mm. And this idea of a human mutation, let's say the X-Men, is that humanity, not only the world can change, but humanity internally has a certain mutation coming along. And I think that's a very important meme. You know, the X-Men talks about the normal people in the world having to get used to or having to accommodate um, mutants. And you're seeing that now in a lot of series, like The Gifted or, um, you know, Heroes. Mm. A lot of TV series talking about people who have these this different abilities which are mutating them. And so there's an evolutionary uh, advance coming internally. And that's, you could say, that's preparing us to understand that humans are evolving as well. We're not just, you know, we're not, we haven't finished where we are. We're not human being, we're human becoming. And I think, you know, all these things are coming out on, on screen or on our cultural memes are a way of preparing us as well to face uh, you know, these ideas which we have to uh, normalize within us. Wonderful, yeah. Now, the, the, the book sounds, uh, reads to me as a very realistic look of the world, but also a very hopeful one. What would you finally say about your book in those terms? Well, it is, it is positive, and despite what we may see in the world, we talked about all these distractions, you know, the book is, is looking at where we can go in the world with what we have, and I and an important aspect of the book, because the book subtitle is Magic, Mind and Meaning in a Technological Age. And the, the latter part of the book looks at technologies, how it can be part of a, an infrastructure which helps us to become more human, not overrides us. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of people do take technology being a, perhaps uh, a negative factor, that we're becoming you know, enslaved to it. And I say that's the consequence of the old mind. But if you have a new consciousness, that brings in the technology, especially the younger generation. You know, we have to see, we have to see past the smartphones and being addicted to social media. Technology has a way of bringing us together to amplify our collective humanity and our connection across the globe as a planetary species. We need technology to to become the structure of a planetary civilization. Um, but we have to see past this immediate stage of the disruption, the control. So the book goes to a, a stage ahead where we can see the sacred coming through in the in the structures coming in, emerging. Um, and I think it's important to have that positive viewpoint coming in, not to get bogged down in, in the disruptions in the immediate world around us now, Steve. Wonderful. Now, uh, I'll be putting out a link for the Amazon uh, connection for this book uh, with the podcast. And if anybody wants to check that out, please do check it out. I've, I've been reading it. It's a fascinating read. covers many, many aspects of this global evolutionary impulse. And Kingsley, as always, um, if you're ever in London, let's have tea. Will do. I'd love to. And uh, to meet up with you face to face, Steve. It's been a pleasure as always.